Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Yertle the Turtle On the faraway island of Salamasand, Yertle the Turtle was king of the pond. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were, until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king! I'd be ruler of all that I see. So Yertle, the turtle king, lifted his hand, and Yertle, the turtle king, gave a command. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them all up in a nine-turtle stack. All mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule. I'm the king of a cow. I'm the king of a mule. I'm Yertle the turtle. Oh, marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. And all through the morning, he sat up there high, until long about noon, then he heard a faint sigh. What's that? snapped the king, and he looked down the stack, and he saw at the bottom a turtle named Mac. Just a part of his throne, and this plain little turtle looked up and he said, Beg your pardon, King Yertle, I have pains in my back and my shoulders and knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence, the king of the turtles barked back. I'm king, and you're only a turtle named Mac. But while he was shouting, he saw with surprise that the moon of the evening was starting to rise. What's that? snorted Yertle. Say, what is that thing that dares to be higher than Yertle the king? I shall not allow it. I'll go higher still. I'll build my throne higher. I can and I will. I'll call some more turtles. I'll stack them to heaven. I need about 5,607. But as Yertle the Turtle King lifted his hand and started to order and give the command, that plain little turtle below in the stack, that plain little turtle whose name was just Mac, decided he'd taken enough, and he had. And that plain little lad got a bit mad. And that plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped, and his burp shook the throne of the king. For Yertle, the king of all Salamasand, fell off his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And today the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That is all he can see. And the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free, as turtles and maybe all creatures should be. Welcome to week two of our series, Parenting Through Proverbs. We are uh, taking a fun look uh, at some parenting wisdom, and we're saying that we're going all the way from ancient King Solomon all the way up to Dr. Seuss, looking at some parenting strategies, some things that we can learn to best pour into our kids. So each week, we're going to crack open a new Dr. Seuss book, and we're going to compare that with some wisdom from the Proverbs, this book written by ancient King Solomon. We're going to hit the highlights of that to aid us 
in our parenting journey. And last week, I, we kind of did the introduction. We talked about, oh, the places you'll go and how we should focus on the people that our children will be, not just the places that they'll go. And I kind of set a roadmap for us of the direction that, that we'll be going. So I'll just put that up so we can review it. There are four seasons of parenting, right? There's years one through five, which is the discipline years where our kids are learning self-awareness. That's where we're at today. And we're going to talk about Yertle the King and little old Mac. Years six through 11 are the training years. This is where our kids are learning self-direction, the actions that they take. 12 through 18 is the coaching years. This is where they're learning about self-control. Key point is that they're in the game and you're not. And if you don't recognize that, you may be missing a key to your parenting season. And last but certainly not least is 18 plus the friendship years where our kids are learning about selflessness and who they are. And so today as we're beginning these years to talk about the discipline years, let me just let you know how you know if you're in the discipline years, right? Just like Sesame Street is brought to you by a sponsored letter, right? If you're in the discipline years, these years are brought to you by sleepless nights, and the word no, right? All God's people said amen, right? You've either been in that season or you're in that season now, and you know that when your kids are between this age, especially if you have multiple kids between the ages of zero and five, sleepless nights are a thing, and by golly, if they don't learn the word no. But don't just take my word for it. Uh, Jim Gaffigan's a comedian. He's got something to say about parenting as well. Let's take a look. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as so much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four, well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two bedroom apartment, so I thought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents. I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. <laughs> The wear and tear of parenting. You may not used to have thick black hair. Maybe you'd say, I used to have hair, and now, by golly, I don't. But parenting is tough, and no place is more tougher and more important to start out with a firm foundation than these first years, years one through five. So you may be somewhere between exhaustion and not sleeping. If you need to take a nap right now, I give you my full permission, right? Listen to it later. Uh, whatever it takes for you to manage through this season. But we're going to talk about our friend Yertle the Turtle here and we're going to look at some Proverbs from Solomon to help us navigate through uh, these early years 
of life. And before you tune me out, you may be saying, well, I'm not a parent and maybe I don't plan to be for a while or my kids are outside of this age. Let me just encourage you to to tune in still. You might have to work a little bit harder, uh, but these are transferable principles that that deal with the way that we parent our kids at any age, whether you have grown-up kids or don't yet have kids. They also can speak to the way in which God parents us. They speak to the way in which God works through his word and works through the situations around us to parent us in our faith as well. So please don't tune out. Please lean in. And as the Holy Spirit enables, let's uh, learn some things about discipline together. And here's the point today. If you walk out of here with nothing else, if nothing else sticks, then then I just want you to marinate on this fact. And that's the simple truth that there is a little yertle inside the heart of every child. Right? There's a tiny little yurtle. There's a tiny little king inside the heart of every child. Right? Yurtle was the king of the turtles, and so he had to be above everybody else. But at the end of the day, he couldn't build a tower high enough, and his tower came toppling over. Right? How many of you know that in the heart of your little two- or three-year-old, there's a tiny little king? Right? Have you learned that truth yet? Do we all know that at some point there's this self-awareness that they develop? Right? This is the secret season of discovery. It's the season where they discover that they are, right? That they have a personhood, that they have a body and a mouth, and that they have a will, right? They can desire certain things and not certain other things. They learn to express themselves in that capacity. In other words, they're just tiny little yurtles. And just like the yurtle in our story, our kids need to learn to grow up a little bit. They need to learn how to play well with others. They need to learn just a little bit of discipline and a few life lessons about themselves and about the world around them. And so where else to learn those lessons other than the Scripture? We're going to be in Proverbs 19 today. If you want to turn there, maybe you brought a Bible, maybe you want to flip it open on your smartphone. And I'll say what I said last week. Uh, You can turn there in one of our worship center Bibles. But more than that, I'd encourage you to circle at the top of the bulletin any of the verses that may stick out to you, any of the verses that may want to draw special attention so that you can look them up. We're not going to read linearly through Proverbs one verse at a time. We're going to hit some highlights. But if you'd like to borrow a Bible, you can uh, slip slip your hand up right now. Uh, Our ushers would love to give you one of those. And uh, I didn't give you the page number this week, apparently. So... uh That's my bad. Anyway, 304. Thank you, Karen. That's wonderful. 304, if you're following along in the Worship Center Bibles, right? Uh, So Proverbs is a book of sayings. It's a collection of wisdom written by King Solomon, who you may remember the story that God asked, if you could have anything you want, Solomon, what would you want? And he prayed for wisdom to govern his people. And so now towards the end of his life, Solomon is writing down some collections of sayings, some things that he's learned along the way. And uh, we're going to hit the highlights of parenting for those. So here's Proverbs 19, verse 18. It says, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Discipline your children while there is hope or you'll ruin their lives. I chose that translation because, quite frankly, the NIV is a little bit harsher. It says, don't be a willing party to their death. Right? Discipline is a big deal, at least in Solomon's world. See, when kids aren't disciplined, when this tiny little yurtle inside their hearts isn't taken care of, then it grows out and grows up and grows beyond themselves. And before you know it, they're knocked off their life course. They're knocked down from their high tower by a plain little turtle named Mac who did a plain little thing. And so while there's hope, while your kids are still with you, while they're still young and before they get set in their ways, we want to discipline them. Why? Because we want to, we want to be party to them living life. We don't want to ruin their lives or be a party to their death. 
See, just like Yertel had to come face to face with the reality of the world around him and the people around him, the sooner that we learn that lesson, the better. Otherwise, we go through our lives blaming others for our problems. We blame others for us being stuck in the mud instead of recognizing that our own actions are the ones that got us there. Proverbs 16, 18, you may want to flip over there or circle this one quick. Proverbs 16, 18 says it this way. First pride and then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. The bigger the ego, the higher your tower gets. Remember, he needed 5,607 turtles to ascend to be above the moon. The more the pride than the crash, the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. All right, so what do we do with these tiny kings and queens that live in our houses? What do we do with these tiny little children who are just discovering that they have a will, that they can say no, that they can exert that will onto others? How do we teach them that there's a bigger kingdom than just their tiny square of the pond? How do we teach them those realities? Because there's a little yurtle in the heart of every child, and the answer, the goal, the mission of this stage in life is to instill discipline is to teach them that life isn't just about them and that they aren't king of the world, but a participant in it. I love the way that John Ortberg phrased it. He says, every two-year-old, every two-year-old discovers that they have a kingdom. Every two-year-old knows that they have ownership, that they can possess something. Let me tell you what kingdom language sounds like, right? Kingdom language sounds like no, right? That's kingdom language. Kingdom language also sounds like mine, Right? Do you know these words if you have kids that age? This is kingdom language, right? I can own that. I can possess it. This is mine and not yours. Maybe this will connect better. Have you ever been in a car with two kids who have kingdoms in the back seat? You ever been on a long road trip, right? You draw that imaginary line right down the center, right? This is my kingdom. This side of the car is mine. That side of the car is yours. Do not cross over to my side of the kingdom, right? Don't you come over here or there will be repercussions, right? What are the repercussions? War, right? War happens if you cross the line. There's kicking, there's fighting, there's pushing. That's mine. Hey, keep your hands off of me, right? This is kingdom language. It's kingdom behavior. My youngest son, Asher, defends his kingdom with nails, right? He claws away. My son has the battle marks to prove it. You can ask Liam and uh, he'll commiserate with you about the wars that are fought over kingdom spaces. War is one option. There's also a more severe option. How many of you know that there's a more severe option to war, right? There's calling to a higher power. You know what I mean? Dad, he's on my side. Mom, she won't quit looking at me. How do you parent in that situation, right? Stop looking at your sibling. I don't know what to do there. But you know why they do this, right? It's because they know that there's a higher reality. They know who really owns the kingdom, right? It's mom and it's dad. See, in the discipline years, years one through five, we learn about kingdom. We learn about mine and yours. We learn about space and sharing. And every child in this age is beginning to understand power and authority and kingdom and place and self-awareness, who they are in relation to all of this other stuff. And when they want something, they take it. And when they can't enforce their will, they either start a war or they call to a higher power. This is just kids ages one through five. So if this is your experience, I hope this gives you comfort. Like, woof, we're not crazy, right? Our kids aren't the worst. This is normal. And as a matter of fact, I can prove it to you. Let's play a fun game of guess who said this quote. So I want you to think about uh, what, what years you think this quote surfaced in. Ready? The children now love luxury. 
They have bad manners. They have contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders. They love chatter in the place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, and tyrannize their teachers. How many of you think this is uh, 19th century? Give me some hands. 19th century? Okay. Old English, 18th century? How many of you think it's like before the year like 1000? Okay. How many of you think it's before Jesus? Like this is from the age-old foundations of time. How many of you just don't want to raise your hands? Okay. Socrates, 399 B.C. Good to know that our kids and our society has evolved a little bit since then, right? It's good to know so much has changed, right? This is just what it means to be a child in years one through five. They're learning about their kingdom. They're learning about place. And it's our job, our role as parents to teach our kids that tiny little yurtle in their heart that it doesn't belong, pushing others away and building their own towers. So how do we parent these tiny tyrants in the words of Socrates? What lessons do we instill in this age, right? They need a working knowledge of how the world works, and they need safety and security in pursuit of identity. They need a foundation to build the rest of their lives on, which is why here at the porch we spend so much time and energy on our kids' ministry. Because we know that if we set this foundation well, if we teach them about discipline and godly principles while they're young, then all they can do is build on a rock-solid foundation. It's also why our main goal within our kids' ministry is to equip you as parents to be the primary spiritual voice in the lives of your kids. If you bring your kids to church every single Sunday, we get 52 hours a year, and that's awesome. You have thousands of hours a year where you get to be their parent and their primary spiritual voice. A.W. Tozer says it this way, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, in order to displace this tiny little yurtle in their hearts, in the hearts of our children, we must learn to replace it with a better one, with a better king. So if you want to know what we focus on here at the porch and also what CCLC focuses on to instill these principles in every child, here's what we do to teach them that there's a better king. Number one, we teach them that God made me. Number two, we teach them that God loves me. And number three, that Jesus and God want to be my friend forever. This is what we focus in on as a church. This is the foundation that we want to instill in our kids at this young age. And I would submit to you as parents that these are three foundational truths that you can talk about and bring up and focus in on, especially in these years one through five. But honestly, they're still relevant to us today, even as adults. But these are the thoughts and ideas that help inform their self-awareness. Let's walk through them a little bit. First, God made me. Psalm 139.4 says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Proverbs 16.4 says that there is a place and a purpose for everyone created by God. Here's the reality. The, The world around us, the world that our children are growing up into, do not affirm this message. You are not free to think this way, especially at ages one through five. And as they grow up through the educational system, this will not be an idea that gets championed anywhere else except in your home. 
They won't learn it from their teachers. They won't learn it from their schools. The only person who can teach them this lesson in a way that sits in their mind is you as a parent, that God made them, that he loves them. See, too often our kids are taught that we're just a random set of things that happened to come together. And then for some reason, we wonder why our kids struggle with wondering if they came from nothing and they're going to nothing, how they can find purpose in the middle while they're here on earth. It doesn't work out. A purposeless existence and a purposeless end only leads to a purposeless, purposeless, purposefulness, purposefulness. It's a really profound point. I know you're getting it, right? But the point is, right, if there's, no, if there's no purpose on the beginning and no purpose on the end, then you can't find purpose here in the middle. And we wonder why people struggle with identity, with finding their place in society. It's because we've set the equation up for our children completely wrong. So we teach our kids, we teach you as parents to go through this, hey, God made me. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator. There is a purpose and a place for you, and you were created for a reason, and you were created because God loved you, and God looked at the world, and he thought that it needed one of you. You have a purpose and a place and a significant one here on this planet. More importantly than that you were made, you were made with love, with care, with affection. If you instill this message in our, in our children's lives, we find that you answer 90% of the identity questions because they feel safe and secure about who they are in relationship to their parents and in relationship to their God. See, kids learn love from parents. That's fundamentally how we were wired and gifted to learn love, and I can prove it to you, right? It's called attunement. Have you ever smiled at a baby? What happens? Either they magically pass gas or they smile at you, right? Like those are the two scenarios where a baby smiles at you. They see the love in your eyes. They see the care and the affection put down in front of them and they mimic it. They attune themselves to what they see in front of you. They learn to interpret the world through what they see displayed in the hearts and minds and love of their parents. I'm not advertising this. Don't do this. But have you ever scowled at a baby? Good, you haven't. You're all wonderful people, right? What happens when you scowl at a baby? They cry. They get scared. Why? Because they're attuning. They're learning about the outside world through the faces that stare back at them. So when we're parents, we've been entrusted with teaching our kids not only that God made them, but that there's a God out there who loves them. And the number one way that they will know that there's a God out there who loves them is because they have a parent who loves them, who teaches them what it is to be in a safe environment where they feel loved and cherished and where they can grow in these areas. Your children from ages one to five need to know that they have a parent who loves them and that they have a God who loves them. Because ultimately, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're just a steward. Right, The souls of our children belong to God and God alone. And God has entrusted you and he's entrusted me to be a caretaker of his prized possession. Of this soul that he cares about so deeply that he would sacrifice everything to spend eternity with it. And you are a steward of that tiny little life. This is why discipline matters. Because if our kids grow up and don't learn to displace Yertle with a better king, we've done a disservice to their soul and we've done a disservice to God simultaneously our kids will learn about who God is through what's laid out for them. And that's point number three, right? Is that not only that God made them and God loves them, but Jesus wants to be their friend forever. Your children can understand the gospel through the lens and through the context that we're talking about here. That Jesus loved them so much, not only that he made them, but that he invites them to spend eternity with him. This is what we teach kids years one through five. Jesus loves them so much that he would never leave them, never forsake them. He wants to be their friend forever. 
And again, this is what we teach one to five-year-olds. And I don't know about you, but as I was writing this message, I got convicted that there's a God out there who loves me and who wants to spend eternity with me and who entrusted me with the caretaking of another human life for his glory and for his purposes. And we're just talking about what we teach five-year-olds. It's still meaningful and powerful for us today, but in my mind, that's how we displace this tiny little yurtle. And newsflash, if you haven't picked up on it yet, yurtle doesn't just live in children, right? Adults in the room, right? We have a tiny little kingdom of our own. We have a tiny little place in our hearts where we draw that line in the car and say here and no further. Sometimes we do it with our kids, right? My space, you stay out. I think that's God ordained. I couldn't find a scripture, but it's in there, I promise. Sometimes we draw a line between our spouse, between our friends, and we say, hey, here, here and no further. Sometimes we draw a line between us and our God. God, you can come here, but no further. Or there'll be repercussions, there'll be war to pay. See, the first practice that I think that we have to talk about as parents is that we have to nail these three lessons that God made me, God loves me, and God wants to be my friend forever. Not only do we have to learn that ourselves, but we have to teach that to our parents. There are also two main ways that I think we have to excel in at being parents. One comes naturally for most people, not everyone, but most along the way, and the other one takes a lot of work for many, many of us. The first thing that we have to nail in order to teach those lessons, in order to display to our kids, who God is and who we are is, is number one on your sheet, right? We have to love irrationally. I love that we sang Reckless Love of God this morning. What a fantastic song. And I actually had somebody ask me, hey, what do you think theologically about that song, right? Is God really reckless in his pursuit of us? I thought about that for a while and I kind of came to the conclusion, this isn't a fully baked thought, but I kind of think that any love is reckless by definition, I think love risks. I think love puts itself out there. I think love doesn't always make sense. And so, yeah, I think that God is absolutely fundamentally reckless in his love because he cares for us so much. By the same token as parents, I think that we recklessly love our children. I think that we have to be willing to go irrational lengths to love our child. Why else do we do this parenting thing? Why else would we have sleepless nights for seven years? Why else would we go through this process if it wasn't for an irrational and reckless kind of love? I remember when we had our firstborn son, Liam. Uh, he was the crazy picture from Block Party that you saw up there, right? We were ahead of some of our friends in having kids, which meant that I got to have a lot of first-time dad conversations. A lot of my friends who would have kids after say, well, what's it, what's it like? Right? What, if I'm, what if I'm no good at the baby thing? What if, what if I don't love him in the same way? What if I drop him, right? That's like dad's number one fear for first kid. What if I drop this thing, right? What if I break it? I'll never forget the questions that I got to have with those people. And I just would tell my story. For, for me, I was terrified of babies. Um, absolutely never held a baby in my life, right? Which is not the best advice for first-time parents. You should probably get familiar. But I just didn't. It wasn't in my circle. I didn't like it. Just keep your baby. I'll be fine. And then I have a son, right? So we're in the delivery room, emergency C-section. The nurse takes the baby, cleans it up, and then puts it in my arms. Like, dear, like, I don't, what? I just... I just didn't know what to do. Then she walks me to an elevator, puts me in the elevator, and says, a nurse will meet you two floors down. Uh, and in that moment, I just have to tell you, right, a switch gets flipped. You look down at this tiny little human being that God has entrusted to you, and you know instantly in a moment that she'll do whatever it takes 
to raise this, right? That's love. It's irrational love, and it happens in an instant. And this is why it's so important for us to talk about with our kids, that we irrationally love them, that we love them to the moon and back, that we'll do anything for them, again, because they're attuning what love means from our relationship with them. And ultimately, we're not trying just to get them to fall in love with us as parents. We're trying to introduce them to a God who provides a far better kingdom than we ever could for them. So often this irrational love is a switch that gets flipped really, really easy. It gives them a sense of security and safety. If you're loved, you don't need a taller tower. You don't need a bigger kingdom because you already have that all wrapped up in true love and acceptance. And again, while irrational love is easy and often natural, unfortunately, babies, babies grow up, right? They turn from cute and helpless and the things that need are full love and support and attention to Monsters, right? That's what they that's what they turn into, right? They're they're crying, they want their way. All they do is tell you no when you ask them to do something. They defend their kingdom. And irrational love is easy for a baby, let me tell you. It's a lot harder to a tiny tyrant defending their kingdom. Which is why we need number two. We need to love irrationally, but we also need to discipline diligently. We have to instill discipline principles, right? Discipline and disciple have the same root word, which I don't think is an accident. Because if our highest goal is to raise our children to know God, to know that he loves them, that he made them, that he wants to be their friend forever, then what we're really talking about is how do we build a discipling relationship with our children to introduce them to the God who created them and loves them. Let's go back, check in with Solomon. Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12 says it this way. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Right? As a father, the son, he delights in. See, discipline fundamentally is an act of love. It's an act of nurturing, of moving someone along a path toward development, right? Love doesn't mean leaving yurtle in the place of our kid's heart. Love means bringing them up out of that and teaching them something different. But when you're a parent who hasn't slept a couple nights in a row, all of a sudden discipline becomes a whole lot unloving. Which is why we need to not confuse discipline with punishment. Sometimes we put them in the same category, but they are not the same. And so this is a, a chart that we borrowed from, uh, from a church who initially put this. I found this so helpful, and I hope that you do too. Here's the difference between discipline and punishment. See, the purpose of punishment is a penalty. When we punish our children, right, it's because they've violated a law and that's punishment, right? Discipline, however, the purpose is maturity. Discipline grows you. How do we not do this thing again, right? The focus on punishment is on the past. This is an action that you did do. The focus of discipline is on the future. How do we not do this next time? What can we do better and different the second time around? The attitude of punishment is anger, it tends to come from an overwhelming thing that maybe we can't control. We're on our last nerve, and so we get angry. But discipline is all about instilling love and safety and security, right? That's the result. The result of punishment is ultimately fear and guilt on the behalf of our children. When they're punished, they feel afraid. They feel guilty like they did something wrong. And on the other hand, discipline, the, the result is security and safety and a safe place to grow and to learn and to develop. See, while irrational love is more natural, discipline, at least for me and for many parents, I think comes harder, right? Especially in this age. 
Because kids are constantly pushing the boundaries. They're constantly checking the boundaries, seeing where the edge is, right? Which often makes them unlovable, quite frankly, right? It makes us want to punish them because we get to the end of our ropes and we don't have the energy, the sustenance, the sustainability to discipline them. So as I was researching and preparing for this, I I came across the five C's of discipline and I took them home and I put them up where I can see them because they were so meaningful to me that I just thought we'd run through them quickly together. Here's five C's of discipline and clear, right? Be clear. When it comes to discipline over punishment, you can always make sure you're disciplining by being clear. Clear about expectations, clear about a warning, clear about what will happen if their behavior doesn't change. Here's the deal. If you're clear, you can make sure you're disciplining disobedience instead of punishing childishness. If you're clear about it up front, you can be sure that you're disciplining disobedience instead of just punishing them being children. Number two, be consistent in your discipline. Be consistent with attitudes and reflections. Be consistent with discipline. Be consistent with boundaries. Be consistent with expectations. Why? Because the goal of discipline is to create safety and security for the future. When we're inconsistent as parents, we invite disobedience. Because sometimes the answer to can I stay up later is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. And if I'm inconsistent as a parent, then my kids keep pushing the boundaries until I give in or until I lose it and blow up, right? Because the problem is that I've given them inconsistent expectations, and they're kids, right? They want what they want, and so of course they keep pushing the boundaries. If you want to know how to deal with the kids who keep pushing the boundaries, be consistent with those boundaries for them. So be clear, be consistent. Number three, be calm. You have to be in a calm state to discipline children. If you ever find yourself in an angry place or responding out of anger for something that your child has done, here's the answer, right? Just send them to their room. Just send them to their room. There are two reasons why. Number one, give yourself time to cool off. Don't respond out of anger. Don't respond out of being depleted within yourself. Don't instill that on them. Give yourself a breather. Go to your room. I'll talk to you about it when I'm ready. Number two, it makes them sweat a little bit. Because they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what you're thinking. They don't know what's going on. So when you're ready to talk, all of a sudden they're more open to discipline because their brain's been turning. Never discipline out of anger or you'll probably wind up in that punishment line. So be clear, be consistent, be calm. Number four, be careful. Make sure that your discipline is full of care. That you aren't rash in your decisions, making punishments that you can't enforce because then you're inconsistent, right? And your kids can sniff that out a mile away. Be sure that the result is discipline and be careful to instill discipline, not punishment. Lastly, be compassionate. Because time will teach them lessons. It may be time out or chair time or quiet time, but if we don't teach them discipline in this age, it might be hard time, and nobody wants that. So be compassionate in your discipline, focusing on the objective of their future, not just the immediate momentary response. See, there's a, there's a tiny little yurtle in the heart of every child. Remember, yurtle was a king. Your two-year-old is a king or a queen in our parenting We have to be the kind of king ourselves that's worth following. Not a rigid king who decrees from on high, but one who loves his children and ultimately leads them to a better relationship with a better king in Jesus. See, Yertle always wanted more and our kids want more. Yertle wanted our kingdom and our kids are just learning what it means to have a kingdom that they want to to protect. Sometimes we discipline like Yertle does, right? Do it because I'm king. But we need to be compassionate and loving 
and teach them about the lordship of our lives and instill that in them. Yertle was offended that somebody was greater than him and we have to teach our kids how to deal with things that are outside of their control because if we don't learn to displace this tiny little king inside their hearts, then we'll never make room for the true king to enter in. Welcome to the Discipline Years, brought to you by the words no and sleepless nights. This is a hard season. I hope this gives you encouragement for this moment. You may feel convicted about some areas where you messed up. If you've messed up, don't worry. That means you're a good parent because you've been trying some things. But there's grace in this for you. It's never too late to parent your children. It's never too late to have an honest conversation with them about ways and places where maybe you could have done better or ways that you'd like to do better in the future. I think that this sets the stage for us, though, as we grow through with our kids. We want to teach them those foundational truths that God made them, that he loves them, and that he wants to be their friend forever. And that it's our job to love them irrationally, to discipline diligently, and to walk through to make sure we're disciplining and discipling our kids, not just getting angry and punishing them. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and just pray with me quick. And I just want to give you a moment to reflect on your own journey. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids and the Holy Spirit's just speaking to you now. And, and maybe it's convicting you about something that happened this morning on the way to church or last night. I know that for me, it's that fresh, it's that real. And maybe you just need to talk with the Holy Spirit about asking for his help. God, would you help me discipline and disciple these kids that you've entrusted to me? God, I want to do my best for them. I want to teach them about you and your love for them, but I'm struggling with the tiny king or queen that lives in their hearts. Maybe for you, your kids are a lot older and you're just going, I missed the boat on this one. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you ways that you can rewind to the clock a little bit, that you can have a conversation with him that goes, I'm sorry I didn't teach you about displacing that king when you were young. But I'd like to have a conversation with you about a God who loves you and a king who made you and who wants to be with you forever. Maybe it's something different than that. Maybe you don't have kids and you're not a parent yet, but you're just reflecting on your parents and on your journey with them. Maybe you're recognizing that you built up a tower of turtles to stand on and while your parents maybe tried to help you knock it down, you just kept on building. Maybe you need to make a phone call this afternoon to apologize, to seek reconciliation and just say, hey, I'm sorry, I know you tried to do your best, but I didn't listen. But I want to listen now. What would you tell me about what it means to be a child of a king? What would you tell me about what it means to walk through this stage of life? Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this moment, into this place. Would you speak to us and give us the exact word that we need, whether it be a word of wisdom from Proverbs or something as silly as a Dr. Seuss book. God, we want to do our best in this stage and in this season, and we want to be parented by you because as much as we can talk about our kids, God, there's a tiny little yurtle that still lives in my heart, a tiny little king that wants it my way. And Jesus, more than anything, I want you to come in and to reign in my heart and in my life. I want to parent my kids from that strength about the true king who lives and who wants to give grace and love and peace to them. And so Jesus, by your blood and by your power, would you accomplish this within our own hearts and would you take us on a journey where we begin to learn about what it is to be caretakers, to be stewards, to be people who disciple the souls of our children. And God, may we bring glory and honor to you in all that we do through that. All God's kids agreed together and said...
Jesus, you have overcome 